The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, um, <clears throat> in our particular Buddhist tradition, the two primary meditation practices that really the foundation of it all is mindfulness and loving kindness. And I had no idea that there was a practice of loving kindness, practice of metta, of goodwill, generating it, evoking it, strengthening it, until I came across this, this Theravadan tradition. And when I first came across it, um, and I, there were guided meditations and loving kindness, I um, just tuned the teachers out. And uh, I was not into it. Um, partly I come from the Zen background, Zen training, and it, for me, at least that the way I kind of was trained or something like that, it just seemed too contrived and artificial. So I just happily tuned the teachers out. Until, in doing the Vipassana practice, uh, something uh, inside of me, my heart somewhere, softened and relaxed. And then this upwelling of metta, or something that, that felt like metta, this love, goodwill, friendliness, kind of, kind of rose out of the practice on its own. And then I had a reference point for what the teachers were talking about. And then I, then I could, then it was no longer making something artificial, then it was in doing the practice was tapping into something that I knew, something I recognized. And I, I came to love the practice, a beautiful practice, to, uh, to, to tap into our goodwill, loving kindness, and uh, to let it kind of grow and develop. It's quite something to watch it kind of get stronger and stronger and grow. And uh, the, pos- the p- potential for letting it grow within us is really immense. Um, it's, uh, the way that it grows is when it's similar to a concentration practice where when you do a concentration practice, everything else you think about falls away. Your life falls away in a sense and you're just completely absorbed in this one thing that you're doing. I mean, it, people have that experience, you know, having a hobby or reading a good book, you kind of you get absorbed in the book. And so with loving kindness, you get absorbed in this whole world of, of metta as if nothing else kind of exists. It kind of fills you more and more. And, um, and so they a sense, a feeling, an intention, an attitude kind of becomes stronger and stronger. It becomes like the primary kind of thing happening for you. Kind of, it's, it's what stands out in highlight. It's what stands out, you know, the foreground of your whole experience eventually. And, and when it gets really strong and you really kind of just, that's, that's what your mind, your heart, your body's all about, then it can come to this place where it feels that as if um, the, your your metta is boundless. Like it has no, it just radiates out in all directions. It has no limits, it has no boundaries. It's, it's kind of like, it's, some people can kind of get a sense of awareness being boundless. If they kind of relax and feel just beyond the edges of your body, it's kind of like you can't really feel there. So it's kind of a strange instruction. But you kind of, kind of try to do that and you get a sense that there's kind of a porous, so this open boundary. There's no hard line between your body and the world outside and you get a sense that you know it's kind of arbitrary a little bit to 
for the mind to say or feel or that there's a sharp line between the body and the world outside. There's a kind of way in which it becomes very soft and diffuse and kind of like the awareness doesn't stop anywhere. It just goes on forever. So same thing with the loving kindness. It can kind of feel like it goes out and just pervades everything. And this, you know, I mean, you're so absorbed in it. <clears throat> and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to, to experience. And you can sometimes, like, there are people who specialize, especially in, like in Thailand, on doing this loving-kindness practice as the primary practice. And sometimes you're in their presence, you get this sense that there's a kind of field of metta or goodwill or something, loving-kindness, just kind of emanating from them. It's, you know, it just kind of feels kind of cool to be around someone who that's their kind of way of being in the world is to just have, you know, this generosity of spirit, you know, this kind of kind regard, this goodwill to whoever comes into their orbit. Very different than if you go, you know, many places in our society and you don't expect, you know, the person's going to be relaxed and open and necessarily automatically friendly. But, but um, so it's a practice. And uh, so some people find it very meaningful to do this as an ongoing regular meditation practice and develop this capacity. And for some people, it's a slow, slow learn. You know, it takes a while to get into it. And some people take to it, take it to it right away. It's said to be very helpful for doing mindfulness practice because it creates a feeling, an attitude of friendliness or or generosity or something um, uh, for the difficulties that happen in mindfulness. It's easier to be mindful if you have a friendly attitude towards your experience and to yourself. If you're unfriendly, you know it's kind of like a drag to be sitting there. So some people find that uh, doing this loving kindness, some people do it 10 minutes, five minutes, a couple of minutes, be, be, the beginning of every meditation session, kind of set a little bit, of, have a, set a good attitude as you start. A um, little bit, whatever can be done. Some people make it their primary practice. So I'm wondering among you here, how many of you have done loving kindness practice before? So quite a few of you. So a few, a few, let me see, how many people haven't done it before? So just a few. So um, uh, what I'd like to uh, have us do now is um, I would like uh, to have groups of four again. And there can maybe be some, some groups of five. But groups of four um, and to discuss what your experience and relationship has been to doing this loving-kindness meditation. What's your attitude towards it? What's your take on it? What's your experience of doing it? Um, and um, and, um, and uh, just kind of explore that, kind of share that with each other, have a conversation about it. And for those of you who haven't done it at all, which is fine, um, make sure there's only one of you in a group. I don't know where you're all sitting, but don't like all, all of you are going to sit together. <laughs> um, but make sure that you're the only representative of the people who this, this is new and listen to what the other people have to say. And, uh, and when it's your turn to share, it goes around the circle and comes to you. Um, uh, since you haven't done it, you haven't have much to say about what it's like to do it. But talk about uh, uh, what your take on this is or what it was like to do it this last half hour, just that, you know, you, and what your attitude, what your relationship to it was, just from this one little experience right now. And, and uh, what do you think about this? Uh, how does this strike you uh, now that you've been introduced to it this way? Uh, how does that sound? Does that seem clear enough? Yes, please. When you do loving kindness, you're doing it for yourself. Yeah. And 
I can. <laughs> um, the, um, <laughs> the 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 um, classic instruction in the ancient texts, going back thousands of years, is you shouldn't do it to someone who's dead, and you should also not do it to someone who you might be romantically attracted. Be- because in both, bo- in both for the dead and for the romantic <laughs> objects, it can get complicated. I think for different reasons, but you know. <laughs> and, um, and the idea was to keep it really simple and straightforward. So, and, and I think the idea is with people who are dead, they can be mixed up, it can cause grief and all kinds of other things. But I know plenty of people who found it very nice to... Uh, do it towards people who passed away and find it very meaningful to do it. The primary, um, um, one of the guidelines around doing loving kindness practice that helps some people is don't get caught up in the, any kind of thoughts about that you're doing it for their sake. You know, and, and how, is it, how, is it, how does it get to them? And, you know, and they don't deserve it or, you know, or, you know, we're, we know, you know whatever. It's not for, to think of it more of for your sake. You know, it's good for the world, but not necessarily directly for them, but it's good, it's just a good thing for you to do because it's really open in your heart so it's not closed. So is that... Is that okay. So anything else? Yeah. No? So um, groups of four, maybe there'll be a few groups of five depending on numbers here. And, um, and then have your discussion about loving-kindness meditation, your relationship to it. So... Um, Sometimes um, the practice of loving-kindness is treated as kind of like kindergarten Buddhism. It's, you know, it's, it's, you know, every, you know, some people uh, have the attitude that, yeah, of, of course, it's a really good thing to do, but you know, it's really the kind of preliminary stuff. It's not the real juicy, important thing in Buddhism. You know, the important thing is liberation or seeing directly into the truth or awakening, whatever that is. But, you know, this loving kindness, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> and, and you find that attitude sometimes explicit. And I've, I've, uh, even in Thailand, among some of the monastic teachers, uh, they sometimes they actually say that, that you know, this is kind of like, um, you know, kind of a, a little bit like a less, just like lesser practice. It's good, but it's not really the real stuff. There are other teachers who really hold it up very highly, of course, but you do find this attitude sometimes. And... Um, uh, if you go back and read the suttas, the teachings of the Buddha, uh, it seems that there that um, the loving kindness is held up very, very highly. Uh, it seems that um, that loving kindness is seen, loving kindness and the other four kinds of love, the compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, are seen as whether you practice and develop it like you did in this meditation practice. If you do it well, that it's a path to liberation itself. It's a path to awakening itself. It's not like a lesser thing you do until you get around to the real stuff. Um, this is, a, you know, is, is, is respected or seen as a very valid path to freedom itself, the path through love itself. And so here's one little example of this uh, from the Buddha. <clears throat> it begins with an, um, a, vi- a visual, kind of a visualization, imagination. So if you're able to imagine along, that maybe helps. <clears throat> imagine that there is an easily accessed pond with clear, delightful, refreshingly cool water. 
If a tired, parched, and thirsty person, scorched and exhausted by hot weather, came across this pond, the water would be used to quench both the person's thirst and the hot weather fever. It is the same for a person who, after learning the Buddha's teachings, cultivates loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. From this, the person gains inner peace, and because of this inner peace, cultivates what's appropriate for a practitioner. I think it's beautiful, huh? So the idea, this is a path to peace itself, uh, practicing these things. And um, it's not always easy, so one of the things I, I described you, uh, earlier is you start the practice always with where it's easiest. The principle uh, that's important to remember is you start where it's easiest. If it's easiest for yourself, start there. But if it's easier for someone else, start with the other person. And then the idea is to take where the love, where the kindness is easiest, and then from there, universalize it. Start the process of spreading it out. So if you start, say if you start with yourself, <clears throat> because it's supposed to be the easiest, then the next easiest would be what's called a benefactor. Someone, uh, someone who's, you, who's uh, had your best wishes in their mind and has helped you out and supported you, a teacher or someone. And, um, and a benefactor is also someone who's mostly been in that role as a benefactor. So maybe the relationship is not complicated with other things, like a friend might be complicated. You might have a lot of love for a friend, but there was that time. And so... Um, uh, so you know, yourself, then benefactor, and then a friend. And then from there you go to a neutral person, and then from there you go to a difficult person. And the idea is not so much like step by step, but more like this gradation from where it's easiest, and then you don't deny the love that you feel close, close at hand, but you take that same love and, ex- and allow it to be there, but you expand it and include more and more people within it, that goodwill. So eventually, the whole world, in, at least in, uh, you have an attitude of gener- generous goodwill towards everyone. Um, but it's, but and so it gets very interesting when you start getting into where it's difficult, the difficult people, and uh, that's where some really deep inner work has to happen, perhaps, where we have to kind of confront why it's difficult, why the person's difficult. Uh, is there history? Is there pain? Is there anger? Is there to represent something for you. What is it about that person that it's not possible to somehow open your heart in a generous way to that person as well? And so there might take a lot of, you know, soul searching and reflection and debate and struggle with your own stuff before you can kind of come to some place where you can feel goodwill to that difficult person as well. In the, a thousand or so years ago, there was a big meditation manual published, written in Theravada Buddhism called The Path of Purification. And that's kind of like one of the primary meditation manuals for this tradition. And in that uh, book, there's a huge chapter on uh, cultivating loving-kindness. And they talk, they talk about the practice, lay it all out there. But in this chapter, this big chapter, I don't know what percentage of the chapter, but the great majority of the chapter has to do with overcoming anger. <laughs> and uh, I thought that's kind of interesting and, um, and one of the ways I interpret that is that in Buddhism there's a lot of ideals and rather than going after the ideal directly we often try to understand what gets in the way of the ideal 
So if the idea is to be, have loving kindness or compassion, um, it's very valuable to actually investigate what, is in the, what blocks your, in your compassion or your loving kindness and then work through that rather than overriding it or ignoring it or pretending it's not there. Because if you can work through it, then whatever is left in the heart will be kind of more natural or more easy or um, then, it's, then you're not going to be less, it's going to be less contrived. It's also, I think, very respectful because maybe the ideal is not what you're supposed to feel. But once you clear out, clear everything out, clear the anger out, for example, then the heart has a chance to respond in the way that's appropriate. And rather than you're impo- thinking you're supposed to be kind, maybe in that situation you're supposed to be <laughs> compassionate. <laughs> or maybe in that situation you're supposed to be generous or patient. Or maybe in that situation, you know, some other kind of response is called for. And um, so there's, a, you know, so the cultivation of loving kindness is a great practice but it's not meant to be to ignore the difficult work of dealing with the, you know, the anger, the resentments, the fears that might be operating as well. Those also have to be addressed directly. So, uh, do you have any comments or questions uh, about this practice of loving kindness or coming out of your discussion or out of someplace else? Yes, if you could use the mic, we'd appreciate it. <clears throat> Over here, here, Gail. Just a question from the tra- the traditional sequence: yourself, a benefactor, a friend. I always think of family. After myself, I go to family, and I'm just thinking: Do you think it's said that way because it was a monastic practice from the time of the Buddha, and they just didn't say didn't have family? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the answer to that question, uh, but. Uh, um, I, so what's important is not this, not the particular sequence. Some people find it useful to have those categories, and then plug in family as it fits. But um, but the uh, I think idea the idea is the principle of going from what's easiest to what's hardest. Kind of a it's it's a kind of a gradual process. So you have to decide who's next. <laughs> so if your family is right in the beginning, that's fine. And um, but uh, you know you know Uncle Charlie. <laughs> You know, he gets to go right near the end of the line, <laughs> or something. So you have to decide where you, you know, if that's valuable for you. <clears throat> again, the, the again, the, the part of the principle of the practice, the meditation practice, is I think it's I think it's helpful to keep coming back to the reference point that you're doing it for yourself. So you don't have to do you're not obligated to do every possible person in the world and your whole family and everybody's you know include everyone. <clears throat> you just do it do it for those people. It helps you to expand outwards. And it's fine to leapfrog over people as long as you're, you know, if they just fit that category and someone else, you know, took care of that expansion of your heart and now you want to go to the next expansion. Does that make sense? Thank you. And I do notice there are people who approach the whole loving-kindness practice from a sense of obligation and duty and like... Sort of learning a lot because I think I was uh, under the impression about this ideal, and if you could just repeat these phrases over and over again to myself, I'd, something would happen. Um, you might get angry. Well, <laughs> something will happen. Yeah, right, right. But it wasn't it wasn't the thing that I was expecting to be filled with sort of you know warm fuzzy feelings for somebody. Um, so it 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 does help to hear that 
maybe with certain people, what you arrive at is the best that you can do is to be patient with them. Yeah. Yeah, that you won't ever perhaps have those warm feelings towards them. So that's, that's, if I've got that right, that's very helpful. It might be the primary thing you have to act on. You have to act on your patience rather than something else. But hopefully, but hopefully, you, hopefully eventually you, fight, you come to some goodwill towards them um, or capacity for it. But yes, yeah, so in the moment, a different response might be needed than, than goodwill. And then I found myself thinking, because I think many of us that come here are people with a lot of compassion. And that compassion when you have no uh, ability to do anything is sometimes difficult to yes. tolerate. And that uh, expanding loving kindness, I was just wondering what, how that would affect feeling compassionate and yet at the same time not being in a position to do anything about it would that it, it, would that be a painful I, I can't describe it would that be a painful edge to um, loving kindness work does that make any sense well I think if I understand you so if you feel compassion for someone who you can't help and they're in pain isn't that difficult what do you do so something like Yes, and, and when, you, when you talk about expanding to greater and greater numbers of people, right. and then I'm, now I'm compassionate to people in uh, India. Who are suffering. And suffering, I'm, you know, yeah. really isn't much or if anything yeah, so I this is, do. So, 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 you know, there's maybe many answers to your question, so I can just speak for myself. That um, when, I'm, when I'm doing loving kindness to specific people who are suffering a lot, then... then um, uh, you know, I, I might not, I might, I might not include them or do them in my loving kindness, but they're included in the compassion work. So compassion is more appropriate. There's a whole compassion practice. It's just like this one here, like loving kindness practice. So they would get my compassion, not my loving kindness. If um, um, if I'm doing uh, India, <laughs> then for me, speaking for myself, uh, then it becomes so generalized. It's kind of like, you know, like I do all beings, you know, everyone in California, everyone, you know. And for me, when I do everyone in California, um, I don't think about the millions of people in California who are suffering. To me, it's kind of like an, not idealized maybe, but a generalized kind of just blanket kind of thing where the point is not the people. I don't focus so much on the people actually, but more on the broadness and extensiveness of the kindness. It's kind of like I'm covering that whole territory and I, the boundless open quality and feeling. It's, and the kind of sense of boundary or separation that can sometimes operate almost subconsciously falls away and it's just kind of just great, big, boundless, open feeling. So the, the, I don't get into specifics about people. They're just like this, all of you then. When I'm doing all of California, it's just like you, you are just all generic <laughs> people. <laughs> You mentioned compassion practice and loving kindness yeah. practice. Can you say something about the distinction and the times that? Yeah. So loving kindness that? practice is more like wishing people. I see it as just wishing them well and being just generally just wishing them to be ha- be happy and safe and have a good life and all that. Compassion is when you see that they're, specifically they're suffering, and then you wish for the alleviation of that suffering. You wish they don't suffer. I don't know if this is a good analogy, but an analogy that's given in the ancient texts 
is that of uh, parents who have like four kids and or, or four stages of the kid's life. So when, they, when the baby, when they're just born, there tends to be all this wishing them well, hoping their good future and all this goodwill, you know, because they're just a blank slate. You don't know what's going to happen, so you just wish them well. And then when they're... Um, and then um, in the... Um, how does it work? Um, oh, and, then, and then one of them is uh, kind of, one of the children is kind of sick, sickly. And so the parents then have all this compassion and care for the sick child. And then you have the child who um, is just starting, left home and, and uh, starting work. And, um, and it's, you know, family and it's all going well. So you feel a sympathetic joy for them. It's all, you know, they're up and launched. Then you have the one who's like in their 40s or something. If the kids, you know, everything's established, their job is established, everything's taken care of, and, and you just feel equanimity. There's, you know, you don't, there's, you're not elated that they finally made it, and you're not, you don't think they're suffering. So in different circumstances, you have the different ways in which that response to that people is. And so compassion is a particular response. Does it make some sense? So some people, when they do loving-kindness meditation, find that it, um, it uh, rather than making them feel more loving, it makes them f- uh, feel something like the opposite. And it kind of it's, it works a little bit as a purification practice. So as you do this, sometimes it highlights or stirs up some of the deeper issues that need to be addressed. If the, the resentments, the angers, the frustrations, the fears. And so um, sometimes it can get quite strong. And so that has, to, that has to be addressed. And some people will continue doing loving kindness with those feelings in spite of them and just continue kind of through them. But some people find it very helpful that when there's very strong so-called negative feelings come up is to stop doing the loving kindness practice and switch over to mindfulness until, that, until those are settled. And then you continue with loving kindness. Yes, Kim. Um, I just finished a retreat on Wednesday, and um, we had been out of touch for nine days. And so at the end of the retreat, um, the teachers said, well, we wanted to tell you a couple things that had happened in the world. Um, you know, we wanted to just let you know so it's not such an impact when you come out. And one of the things that they mentioned was that Osama bin Laden had been found and killed. And so there was a... Um, it was said very nicely in that, you know, the, the teacher explaining this said, well, we just want to let you know also that generally the, you know, the body had been treated with respect and it was, you know, it was all fairly okay. And the man sitting next to me immediately, sort of as a spontaneous response under his breath, said, good, good. I thought that was a really a, a beautiful response, is that his first sense was, Oh, this this person should have been treated with respect, and was happy about that. Mm-hmm. So, I hope that was uh, useful for you to have the conversations with loving kindness. That's, I think it's a um, it's a good one to explore and he, maybe hear each other and hear each other's experience and relationship to it and. I hope that um, made it makes it more rich and hopefully more interesting. Um, 
it's, I think it's a valuable practice to, um, to begin to learn. Um, it's something that can be done in many circumstances in life. And you know, one, one of the things that makes compassion, for example, hard to do is when you feel like you're helpless and you can't do anything. But some people find that having an inner practice, whether it's mindfulness or compassion practice or loving kindness practice, always gives you something to do. So even if, even if you can't help out there, you can still do something. You don't just kind of like give up and, you know. Um, and I, th- I believe that doing these kinds of inner practices is very effective for the world, it's very effective in these kinds of circumstances as well. So it gives us, it kind of overcomes, it's a way of overcoming helplessness even if they can't do anything externally. And I've known several people who have gone, um, been wheeled into operation rooms to do surgery, or they're waiting in the hallway, waiting to go in. And uh, I remember one person who was most poignant said it, I've got to many surgeries, and usually I'm laying there feeling helpless. I'm in the hands of someone else, and uh, I'm just waiting. But now that I know this loving-kindness practice, I feel like I'm in charge. You know, there's there's something I can do. And I have a role. I have something, you know, some way. So it can be it's something that can be done in many circumstances. And I find it fascinating to do at airports. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things you could do at airports. I don't know what you do at airports, but if I'm alone at airports, you sit, you sit in the, in the, lo- you know, in those lounges waiting for the plane, and and uh, kind of people watch, you know, quietly or secretly or something, and and just may you be happy. May you be happy. And what, ha- what helps, because often people aren't smiling that much at airports, is, um, is I imagine uh, uh, what they would look like if they were smiling if they're home and, you know, and it's a nice circumstance with their family or you know, so- something. And I imagine then it's, oh yeah, may it, may it be so. And, um, and uh, sometimes I find it a very nice thing to do, not only because it's nice to do itself, but because knowing my own mind, sometimes the alternatives are not so favorable. <laughs> you know, it's sitting there and, you know, what am I? So, okay, so let's take a short break. Uh, can we do this? Uh, can we start again in here at 10 after 3? Because we're running out of time now for the last little section. Thank you. Sometimes they're mutual or they're, they're separate, but they're interactive and mutually supportive or work together. And um, one that some people separate out as being somehow opposed is the idea of helping oneself versus helping others. Uh, if you help yourself, you're selfish. You should go and be helping others. As, um, sometimes, in, in one of the dramatic ways I saw it in my early years of uh, Buddhist practice was, um, I haven't heard it for many years now, but uh, parents or friends of people who are doing Buddhist practice, or people who are meditating, would tell them that they were being selfish. You know, being self-absorbed, just sitting there meditating and focusing on yourself. You be, and they would say, especially, you should be out there and do, help the world. But, you know, they're spending maybe, I don't know, an hour or two hours a day meditating, right? Um, the people who are criticizing them are spending three or four hours a day on watching television. <laughs> <laughs> And if you'd said, you know, I watch television every day, you know, so, oh, okay, that's, you know, that's normal. Um, or if you said you, you spend a few hours a day stamp collecting, well, that's okay. But if you say you spend a couple of hours, an hour meditating, that evokes something in some people 
that it's spiritual somehow, it's religious. And if you must be religious, spiritual, then it has to be only for help others, only something compassionate. If you focus on yourself, then it's selfish. So I don't know if I conveyed that properly, but there's kind of a, I found a weird kind of, kind of view. And, um, and, um, but it, as, I, as I understand the teachings of the Buddha, it's clear that there's a mutuality, that if you help yourself, at the same time you're helping others. If you're helping others, it's meant to be helping yourself as well. There's kind of the two, the two don't have to be opposed to each other, they can work together. And one of the places you can see that is in the practice of loving kindness and the practice of compassion. Is that, um, you know, on one hand, loving kindness is, is wishing someone else well, it's being generous and supportive of other people. And the same time it's understood, as you do that, you benefit from that. And it's okay to want to benefit from that. It's not selfish. Uh, th- these two things can go together. It's not, they don't, don't exclude each other. And in fact, this, the, the personal benefits you can get from the practice of loving-kindness um, is one of the motivations to do it. But the byproduct then is you end up being a more, uh, some, a kind of person that goes into the world able to help the world more, more motivated to help the world. That make some sense? And um, so in the handout, for t- uh, I have two handouts for today. One is a series of quotes about loving kindness. And in there you'll see uh, a list of the, of the 11 benefits of loving kindness. And, and um, people who uh, do a lot of loving kindness practice are sometimes instructed to memorize those 11 benefits. And somehow if, you, if they're close at hand by having memorized them, it kind of acts as a little fuel for do, doing the practice. Um, but my hope is that people who practice loving kindness don't just do it in the privacy of their own minds. Mm-hmm. That it does translate into acts of loving kindness, acts of goodness or kindness, acts of, of caring for others as well. And um, but then in the same way, if you there are ways in which you can do something for someone else, and the very doing of it helps you develop more of your own loving-kindness or your own, more of your own compassion. Even if you don't feel like you want to, you know, even if you don't feel kind or friendly or, you know, feel goodwill to someone, if, sometimes if you just break out of your little bubble and go do something for them, in doing them and helping them, you'll start sometimes feel changed by that and feel better. It's okay to feel better. It's okay to get benefits you're not supposed to be the, the martyr who's just supposed to go and, out of a sense, rent a sense of duty and responsibility, exhaust yourself doing good and helping other people. Um, it's, a mutual, it's a mutual benefit society that Buddhism is. And we all benefit together. And what they say in Buddhism, which I believe, is that the more you're benefited, the more you grow and develop and mature spiritually, um, the more you have to offer other people. And the, and the quality of what you offer is so much more improved than, uh, than if you hadn't done that practice. So, one of the, so if, you're, if you're inspired or it's meaningful for you, the idea of cultivating more loving kindness, more goodwill, that it's not something you're just going to leave to chance and let it happen whenever it happens, but actually try to find a way that you can sincerely bring it up more often, make it more part of your life then we'll look for ways to do that. 
And one of the ways to do it certainly is to do a regular loving-kindness practice. Um, in other ways, another way of doing it is to, there are certain things you can do that tend to have the side effect, this byproduct of, of kind of opening the heart or byproduct of encouraging more goodwill coming from you. Um, so I wanted to ask you all, what are, the, what are the things that you can think of doing, actually doing in the world, not just sitting not privately in your own mind? What are the things you could actually do that in the doing of that, it might generate or evoke stronger feelings of goodwill, of compassion or friendliness uh, towards others? What do you think? Susan? I think sometimes just smiling at people and, you know, being friendly. So just smiling and basic friendly gestures. That, uh-huh. that they exist. Just acknowledge they exist. <laughs> I've noticed that sometimes if I, I, I'm in the supermarket kind of grumpy, you know, I get to the clerk and, you know, you know, just continue my grumpy mood is not going to help me any. But if I take the time to stop and take in the fact, just even though, even though it's smiling, but just take in the fact that there's a person there and let the person register in my field. Like, oh, there's a real person there. Even if they don't look at me, but you really take in, um, then uh, I'm much more likely to feel kindly disposed to that person. But smiling is even better. So someone else? Yes, here in the front. Well, I've noticed there are a lot of small opportunities that that come along, and they're for like being courteous to people, or um, like yielding right of way, or letting someone else do what they're trying to do when they're in a little bit of temporary conflict with your velocity. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, sometimes people just need a little bit of help with something, and if you offer to do that, or just step in and do it, that all those things really cultivate it. So even a lot of small small little gestures of courtesy can help do it. Just just doing the gesture bounces back. It changes you a little bit in doing things for people. Uh-huh, thank you. Like you said, the, those small acts, um, sometimes it's almost sad and shocking to me that if I, when I see an opportunity like, oh, somebody with a you know, baby carriage needs help with a door, you know, those kinds of simple things, um, sometimes they're so shocked and emotional that they're getting spontaneous help. <laughs> you know, it's a little sad that that's such a big deal. You know, and, and that, uh, of course, that makes, that evokes emotion in me, like, oh, you're welcome, you know, it's fine, and not a problem, and, but uh, I guess the world can use more of that. So I know there's these, a lot of these small gestures of little support. There's also big gestures that you can do to strangers, even, you know, that uh, doesn't have to be small ones, it makes a big difference. Take, you know, give people a ride far out of your way, to, you know, help someone out. 
Someone else? Um, I like to just let people know that I appreciate them. Ah. Something that they've done or recognize something that, you know, is kind or compassionate that they've done. Because I think that it seems like people don't get recognized for this small, uh-huh. kind acts. So expressions of the thank you and appreciation. Uh, yeah, so. or just like, I would like to recognize you for going out of your way to help me. Beautiful, yeah. Now, now so it's a beautiful. And when you do that, does that tend to evoke more goodwill from within you? Within me, of course, yeah. For, for them. So even by, by saying thank you or saying I appreciate it, that generates more goodwill. Yeah, it's like a positive feature. Beautiful. I think there's a lot of um, volunteer opportunities that would, that would um, support this. Um, visiting in jails or helping in... Um, nursing homes or after school um, there's just a lot of boundless volunteer opportunities out there. yes and part of the advantage of that is not only helping someone but also seeing people that uh, in, in circumstances in life that are heart opening to move us in some deep way um, if we only stay home and watch I don't know what I don't watch television but you know you know, people can limit themselves and see a very small subsection of society, and it doesn't doesn't open the heart as much as going in situations like that. I think uh, one time, well, for a long time, I used to be annoyed. It was e- I would get easily annoyed at people because of the shoulds. Like if I went to McDonald's and the person had a hard time speaking English, I had a lot of judgment and frustration about it. So I would be angry at that person, then I would end up feeling guilty about it. So I told myself, well, that doesn't do anybody any good, especially if I, if I actually showed my anger, which hopefully I didn't, and I, and I don't want to have the guilt. So once in a while what I would do about it was I would intentionally tip these people like if through a drive-in and uh, and I noticed that you know they're really like really uh, happy and amazed and in disbelief and uh, and it makes me feel good so it's like I intentionally go into my stuff to try to to do something mm. to maybe make it so you felt anno- you felt annoyed these people are helping you in some way and, the, and there were circumstances where it was okay to tip them okay enough and so you would tip them is that what you're saying right and even though it wasn't really your you know and so in doing that tipping it broke your broke your trance it broke your broke you out of your stigma your, your state of mind right about it about you say they would smile they'd be really happy and then it was hard for you to be angry anymore right yeah then after that from now you know after that it doesn't matter if they didn't speak perfect English when they're trying to help me <laughs> <laughs> save me a lot of tip money too you know. <laughs> This little thing, you know, like that. Beautiful. There is a, there is a, many years ago I read about a tribe somewhere in the Philippines, I think it was, where if you had a dream 
where someone was in your dream, but they were kind of causing you trouble in the dream, then uh, when you woke up the next day, you had to go give them a gift. So the idea of giving gifts to the people who are troublesome for you. So a similar idea to what you said. So I think it's important for us to, in our society, there's a lot of people that are in the service industry that they're kind of considered a non-person. So I make a special effort to acknowledge them. So it might be a simple thing as at a check, check stand, looking at their name and saying their name and making eye contact. Instead of the, how are you? Without contact, just right. So I tried to do a little simple thing like that. That's the least I could do, I think. Great. <laughs> okay, so, so thank you. And so the idea being that uh, number of ideas, but one idea that uh, if you want to generate more loving kindness, then there's also things you can do to create the conditions that tend to evoke it. It might be hard to generate it in and of itself, but you can do certain things that makes it more likely that it'll come forth. And you don't have to just wait to it just happens. And, um, and then as you keep doing those things, you feel more, and then it becomes easier and easier to do and becomes more part of your life. It's a beautiful thing to be, have more, to have goodwill, loving kindness in your life. And um, it doesn't have to be warm and fuzzy. It does not, not at all. Goodwill can be very strong and balanced and, and um, you know, you, you can be true to yourself and that. Yes, Ellen. I don't know that I intended this to, to have that this consequence, but I'm fortunate enough to have traveled a lot, and I think that getting out of your own environment into other environments that are difficult and different from your own does a lot for opening up my perspective and compassion and understanding that my way is not the highway. Great. Yeah. That's been my experience, too. So, um, so thank you very much. Um, it's uh, it's a, uh, I, I appreciate the fact that I could spend these six hours with you talking about loving kindness and exploring it with you, a group of people. It's kind of, seems like a pretty special thing to have a group of people to do such a thing. So I appreciate it very much. Thank you. And next month, I don't know the date anymore, but uh, so in June we'll do um, the last of these series for the year and uh, we'll do equanimity as a topic. And um, I already mentioned earlier, so usually for those who don't know, I usually do this together with Inez Friedman. And now it's the second time in a row she hasn't been here. And this time she wasn't here because she never planned to be here on this time. (laughs) (laughs) When I invited her to teach it with me, she said, yeah, I'll come, but I can't come in May. So this is the deal. But the last time she wasn't here because of this, um, you know, the use permit, the hearing, public hearing that had to happen. So um, um, there's a handouts here, two handouts if you'd like, uh, one with reflections and exercises to do during the month. And um, it's always helpful if there are about six, seven people who stay behind to do the tidying up we have to do the kitchen and vacuuming in here and um, uh, Gail is the manager so are there six, seven people who are willing to stay behind for about ten minutes and help with that so one, two, three, four, five, six great, thank you talk to Gail so um, 
may whatever benefit that you received from this day of practice, may you consider how you can uh, turn that into ways of benefiting others as well. Uh, May whatever benefit and merit that's come from this day be for the uh, welfare and happiness and liberation of all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy. Thank you.